Hello, my name is Garrett Jameson, and I'm going to read you How to Be Funny, an extremely silly guidebook by Jovial Bob Stein. I hope you enjoy it. Um, please uh, ignore how I read bad sometimes. Enjoy. Items you will need for the following lessons in this book. The following supplies, most of which can be found around the house, are absolutely necessary. Make sure you have all of them in front of you before moving on to chapter one. You will need one 200-pound ball of pink mohair wax lips, blue, 200 pounds live bait dipped in cheddar cheese, one four-sided triangle, three teaspoons of vanilla, one radioactive lunchbox, one underwear gorilla feeder, one mink line mink, one rabbit's fur squirrel, one rhinestone weasel whip, three-inch sideburns, blue if possible, a bronze statue of Lassie riding a horse, a tissue paper raincoat, single-breasted, one chicken salami, blue, one battery-operated cat squeezer, a raisin on a stick, a warm doorknob, gray jelly beans, one pair goldfish boots, high-heeled if possible, one red piano stool without wheels, one electric soap dish, one ferret pie a la mode, a wet llama. Introduction. Why be funny? Has this ever happened to you? You pick up a new book, you just start to read the introduction, and suddenly the book asks, has this ever happened to you? Well, if this has ever happened to you, don't stop reading. It may just happen to you again. Has this ever happened to you? You know you're not supposed to play baseball in your front yard, but you and some friends decide to risk a small game. Sure enough, you throw a ball a little too hard. You watch it as it smashes through the living room window, bounces off your father's head and lands on the dinner table, cracking one of your mother's best plates. Now your father is standing over you, holding the lump on his head. Just give me one good reason, he says. One good reason why I shouldn't thrash you about the ears and confine you to your room until you're 21. Just one good reason, that's all you need. You struggle, you think, you sweat, nothing. You need this book. And how about you? Yes, you, in the orange sweater with the chocolate stains on the sleeve. Has this ever happened to you? A gang of bullies has been terrorizing kids at your school. Now they've got you surrounded in a deserted corner of the playground. They have an offer to make you. Your lunch money or your life. You gotta think fast. Should you burst out crying? No. Maybe if you can think of something clever to say, you can make them laugh. They'll think you're cool and let you get away with only minor bruises. You struggle. You think. You sweat. Nothing. You hand over your lunch money, your belt, your sneakers. You need this book. And how about you? The one who's sitting there, wondering if there's going to be a third example. Has this ever happened to you? Your math teacher is yelling at you because you forgot to do your homework for the third night in a row. Everyone else has learned about the metric system but you, he says angrily. What should I do with you? What should I do? Boy, are you embarrassed. The whole class is staring at you. If you could only think of something funny to say, something to make everyone laugh, then you wouldn't appear to be such a loser. You struggle. You think. You sweat. Nothing. You need this book, too. Admit it. When you're in a jam, when things get tense, when you have problems, big problems, that's the time to crack a joke, walk into a wall, fall on the floor. Does it help? It can't hurt. You picked up this book just in time. From now on, when disaster strikes, you'll have the last laugh, and you'll be getting big laughs. Say the baseball you threw crashes through the window, bounces off your father's head, lands on the table, cracks a dinner plate, 
Your father says, just give me one good reason why I shouldn't thrash you about the ears and confine you to your room until you're 21. You turn to him and say, but dead, you always told me to get the ball over the plate. Funny, funny. Say a gang of bullies has surrounded you on the playground and they're demanding your lunch money or your life. You turn to them and say, do you accept master charge? That's funny. Say you haven't done your metric system homework for three days. Your math teacher is embarrassing you in front of the whole class by saying, What should I do with you? What should I do? You turn to him and say, Take me to your liter, spelt L-I-T-E-R. Funny? Well, it's a start. Chapter 1. Test yourself. How funny are you? Before we begin our funniness lessons, it's important to find out just how much instruction you need. Perhaps you already are pretty funny, and you need only to brush up your chimpanzee imitation just a bit. Perhaps you are somewhat funny, but need to get more wrist action into your jokes. Or, maybe you are truly a beginner and should start with something simple, such as falling down a flight of stairs and landing on your head. This test will show you exactly how much help you need, desperately need. Part 1. Recognizing a joke. Here are three items. Only one of them is a joke. Circle the number of the item you believe to be the joke. Number one, fire. Help, fire. Two, help, police, I'm being robbed. Number three, boy, am I glad to come in out of the snoo. Snoo? What's snoo? Nothing. What's snoo with you? I'm going to guess number three. Here are three different versions of the same joke. Only one version is correct. Circle the number of the joke that you think is told correctly. Number one, I crossed a carrier pigeon with a woodpecker. What did you get? I don't know. Number two, I crossed a carrier pigeon with a woodpecker. What did you get? Nothing. What's new with you? Number three, I crossed a carrier pigeon with a woodpecker. What did you get? I don't know. But when it delivers a message, it knocks on the door. I'm going to guess number two. Here's a joke that's completely scrambled and all out of order. See how long it takes you to put the joke back into its proper order. Was it way the just liked he? No. Asked she. It on anything put you did. Wife his told mailman the morning his leg my bit a dog. Uh, I'll let you figure this out. Part 3. Recognizing nonsense words. To be funny, you must have a large vocabulary of silly words. Here is a list of 10 words. Carefully hidden in the list are four nonsense words that aren't real words at all. Can you find the fake words? Homogenized, esoteric, hypothesis, bloop galoop, bleep galeep, greep greep, gloop gloop, redundant, sophistry, panacea. Chapter 2. How to be funny in school. If you want to be truly funny, the best place to begin is in school. There, everyone sits, hour after hour, five days a week, waiting, waiting for the chance to burst out laughing. It doesn't take much, a funny noise, a silly mistake, a fall off your seat, and you've got them roaring. Your friends are desperate to laugh, and you'll be ready for them. If you follow the instructions in this chapter, your classmates will begin laughing the moment you enter the room, and they won't stop until you are sent to the principal's office. Entering the room funny. When should you start being funny? As soon as the alarm clock goes off in the morning, of course. You'll probably want to fall out of bed, put your clothes on inside out, and spill your food all over the breakfast table just to get warmed up. Then, when you get to school, there's one thing you'll want to keep in mind. 
you must get the laughs rolling as early as possible. You don't want to give your teacher the opportunity to take over the class. Don't wait for the bell to ring and class to begin. You must start being as funny as soon as you enter the room. This requires practice, planning, and nerve, but be careful not to overdo it. Dexter Brewster, who is 12 and should know better, spent six months practicing his backward classroom entrance. Brewster's big plan was to wear his clothes backwards, walk into the classroom backwards, and back into his seat. We must give Brewster credit for this ambitious attempt, but unfortunately, he carried it out poorly. Instead of backing into his classroom, he miscalculated slightly and backed into the janitor's broom closet. By the time he realized his mistake, he had already been marked absent. The vice principal had phoned his mother to find out where he was, and the mother had phoned the police. An important tip. If you insist on getting laughs by walking backwards, the best place to do it is in the lunchroom. There, you can back into people who are carrying trays and cause them to spill their food all over the floor. This is always a big laugh getter. Wilma Wallaby, 11, is famous in lunchrooms from coast to coast for what she calls the double backward surprise bump and spill. Wilma backs into someone carrying a tray while she herself is carrying a tray. Because of Wilma's expert timing, both lunches go flying into the air and they both land on the same person's head. You can imagine the laughs that this gets. The 10-step classroom bumbling entrance. As a special favor to the author of this book, Harrison Babel, only 13, winner of 17 awards for classroom disruption, has agreed to set down for you uh, the 10 steps to his world-famous clumsy classroom clown entrance. Here is exactly how he performs it, in his own words. I wait until they're all in their seats. Then just as the final bell rings... I step up to the doorway and I, one, bang my head on the doorframe, which causes me to, two, drop my books, I, three, bend over to pick up my books, and four, all the change falls out of my shirt pocket, then five, leaning down to pick up the change, I, six, rip my pants, seven, stumble over my math book, and eight, break my glasses, causing me to, nine, walk into the wall, and ten, fall headfirst into the waste paper basket. Of course, Babel's 10-step entrance, which he hopes to someday turn into a feature-length movie, will go down in history as one of the great clumsy routines of all time. But, as wonderful as it is, many of Babel's classmates wish he wouldn't do it every single morning. Pencil sharpening laughs. Can you sharpen your pencil for 15 to 20 minutes without stopping? Keeping a straight face while you grind down the tiny little stubs despite the attempts of your teacher to conduct class? If so, you should be able to get good laughs at the pencil sharpener. Timing is what is important here. If your sharpening takes too little time, people will think you actually wanted to sharpen your pencil. If your sharpening goes on for far too long, people may become annoyed and break your pencils in two. You must practice when to sharpen and when to pause. Sharpen while your teacher tries to speak, pause when she pauses, and then start sharpening again when she tries to speak again. It may take you a while to get your timing perfect, so bring plenty of pencils. But don't resort to cheap tricks or props. The unfortunate Dexter Brewster forgot this lesson. Before a recent spelling test, he raised his hand and asked, Please, Miss Bimmons, may I sharpen my pencil? I only have one. When Miss Bimmons agreed... Brewster pulled out specially made pencil that was 8 feet long and weighed more than 50 pounds. 
the class thought this was pretty funny. But when Brewster tried to lift the giant pencil, he got splinters in his hands and was sent crying to the nurse's office. The pencil was later chopped up by the school janitor and used for firewood. Electric or manual pencil sharpeners. Which should you use? Of course, there are good arguments for both. But while the electric pencil sharpener is noisier, it doesn't give the good, slow, irritating, grinding roar you need to drown out the class discussion and get the really big laughs. Special warnings. Attempting to sharpen a ballpoint pen or a felt marker will never get a laugh unless the ink spurts out all over your clothes attempting to sharpen your finger will also only get pity and strange looks. Passing out papers. Every once in a while, a student is given a golden opportunity to be funny when the teacher hands him or her a stack of papers and says, please pass out these to the class. How you manage to mangle these papers, how you scatter them all over the floor, how you tear them, trip over them, spill things on them, how you make sure that no one gets the right paper, that is all up to you. But just don't pass up this wonderful opportunity to be funny. You may never get a second chance. Making funny noises. Arf, arf. Bow, wow. Yes, the thought of someone barking like a dog in class has you laughing already. Funny noises are a sure way to get big laughs in school. A loud bubblegum pop, a hiccup, that can be heard down the hall. 20 minutes of uninterrupted coughing? These are all popular and effective. But to be really funny, you must invent original, annoying sounds of your own. Marlon Milkstraw, 12, is perhaps the noisiest student in the United States. Marlon can be found every day after school perfecting new funny noises in his garage. He always tries out his new noises at the family dinner table before he brings them to school. Now, that way he knows that when the time comes, when the teacher turns her back and lets go of his new noise, the class will immediately like the new noise and will laugh uproariously until forced to stop. Although he doesn't like to be taken away from his noise work, Marlin was kind enough to jot down for you his most effective classroom noises. He recommends that you practice them at least six months in your room before trying to perform them in class. They are reap, reap, yachoo, yachoo, cluck, cluck, marf, 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 accent on the second marf, so that would be marf, marf, marf. Marlin warns that after an outbreak of funny noises, most teachers tend to blame the kid with the reddest face. So if you're the kind of kid who blushes easily, it might be best to stay away from funny noises. Concentrate instead of using your red face to get laughs. For example, you might tell everyone you are doing an impression of a cherry tomato. The quick quack. While Marlin Milkstraw has invented many extraordinary sounds, the quick quack is credited to the multi-talented Harrison Babel. Babel is able to quack with lightning speed in a perfect duck voice. If Miss Pitts turns her back for even a split second, Babel is able to get out a quick quack. And sometimes, even quicker, quack, quack. Even if Miss Pats would love to find the quacking culprit in her classroom, Babel's quack is so quick that he has never been caught. Dexter Brewster, unfortunately, has not been as successful with his version of the quick quack. Brewster's timing was not bad. He waited for Miss Bimmons to turn her back and begin writing on the chalkboard. 
Then he let go of a very loud quack. And that was the problem. Brewster's quack was much too loud. Immediately afterwards, the classroom was attacked by a ferocious flock of wild ducks who were out looking for excitement. Twelve students were severely pecked, and Brewster had to retire his quack forever. He tells me that he is currently trying to learn how to oink in French, Latin, and Portuguese, but is having a hard time of it. Warning, these lines will never get you laughs in school. 1. Miss Bimmons, you forgot to assign the homework. 2. May I be excused? I think I have the measles. 3. Miss Pitts, would you ask Billy to stop whispering? I can't hear the class discussion. 4. My summer vacation was so exciting, I don't think I could write it in just one report. Could I hand it in three installments, please? 5. May I be excused? I think I have whooping cough. 6. Do we have to skip the questions at the end of the chapter? They're all good for review. 7. I got 98 on the test. Hope that doesn't spoil the curve for everyone else. 8. My parents don't care about my grades. They want me to be a well-rounded person. 9. May I be excused? I think I have the mumps. 10. Do you mind if I read a few chapters ahead in the textbook? It's so interesting. I just don't want it to stop. 11. For my book report, I read the dictionary. It doesn't have a lot of plot, but the author has a great vocabulary. 12. A movie? But you promised us a quiz today. 13. May I be excused? I think I have Gwart's palsy. 14. May I stay after school and clean up the room for extra credit? Now, here's questions for review. 1. Is it funnier to enter the classroom on all fours carrying your books in your mouth or walking on your hands wearing your hat on your feet? 2. List the four funniest replies when your teacher says, Good morning, everyone. How are you today? 3. Describe the three best ways to use the water fountain to squirt people halfway down the hall. 4. What's the funniest thing to say when you find you've got your head caught in your desk? 5. What are the two funniest things you can do with spinach in a crowded lunchroom? Chapter 3. How to be funny at the dinner table. It's dinner time, perhaps the best time of day to be really funny. The whole family is together. Everyone is in a good mood. The table is filled with laugh-getting props, dishes to juggle, silverware to toss, food to play with, dozens of opportunities for you to get really big laughs. The first rule to keep in mind when planning your dinner time hilarity is this. You must avoid tired old routines that everyone has seen time and time again. Do not even consider such weary old standards as 1. Leaning back in your chair until you fall over. 2. Trying to eat jello with your hands. 3. Laughing while you drink the milk so it pours out of your nose. These gags will only get you groans, not laughs. And you will probably be deprived of dessert. Save these routines for lunchtime in your school cafeteria where they will be appreciated, especially since everyone at your table will be doing them. Being funny with the tablecloth. If your family uses a tablecloth on the dinner table, you are in luck. The tablecloth can get you more laughs than a box full of wet napkins. If your family does not use a tablecloth, demand that they buy one. You will never get laughs with placemats, no matter how hard you try. Harrison Babel reports that some of the biggest table laughs he got was from tablecloth laughs. They come simply by wiping his mouth on the tablecloth. 
Babel uses a long sweeping motion for this wiping and generally manages to cover four to five feet of tablecloth with each wipe. We do not recommend this gag in homes where the laundry is done by hand. Always keep your tablecloth gags to as simple as possible. The unfortunate Dexter Brewster forgot this rule in planning a recent tablecloth joke with predictable results. Brewster prepared for his gag one afternoon when his parents were away. Using a hacksaw, he quietly cut a large circle out of the center of the dining room table. He placed a tablecloth over the table to cover the hole, then set the table for dinner. Dexter's delighted parents returned home after a long day of shopping and thanked him again and again for setting the dinner table. Dexter just smiled. Came dinner time, everyone was seated around the table. Dexter decided it was time for his joke. He dropped from his seat and silently crawled underneath the table and then quickly stood, popping his head up through the hole in the center of the table beneath the tablecloth and cried out, Hi, I'm Casper the Friendly Ghost. The joke was not a success. The family now has its meals around a card table, a constant reminder to Dexter just how misguided his poor joke was. Other tablecloth rules. 1. It's always funnier to rip a tablecloth with your bare hands than to cut it with scissors. 2. Spilling food on the tablecloth is not funny. Rubbing food into the tablecloth is funny. 3. Wearing a tablecloth around the house is funny. Wearing one to school is not funny. Being funny with salt and pepper. To be funny at the dinner table, you've got to start with salt and pepper. Until you've mastered these basic ingredients, you will never be funny with garlic powder or Worcestershire sauce. Wilma Wallaby kept a collection of salt and pepper shakers handy in her room so that she could practice being funny with them whenever she got a spare moment. Wilma's parents always wondered why she was constantly giggling in her room. They didn't realize how funny salt and pepper shakers can be. Harrison Babel's three-step pepper sneeze never fails to win him big dinnertime yucks, but other kids report that their parents become alarmed by any kind of sneezing. Instead of getting laughs with their sneezing routines, they find themselves sent to their bed with aspirins, extra blankets, and hot water bottles. If you wish to risk it, here are the three steps that have made Babel's pepper sneeze world famous. Step 1. Ask politely for the pepper shaker. Hold it up to your nose and inhale deeply in an extremely exaggerated manner. Step 2. Tilt your head back, open your mouth, close your eyes and go ah, 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 as if you are about to sneeze. Do not sneeze. Bring your head back to its normal position. Sigh to show that the need to sneeze is past. Lift your fork as if to eat. Suddenly tilt your head back again. Open mouth. Close eyes and go ah, ah, ah. Lower head, do not sneeze. Sigh again. Pick up fork. You may repeat this as many as seven or eight times. Step three. Begin to eat saying, there, thank goodness that's over with. Pause one second. Then sneeze as hard as you can all over the dinner table. Harrison Babel reveals that he heightens the effect of the sneeze by placing both hands under the table and shaking the table vigorously as he sneezes. Of course, his family is horrified and disgusted. After they have stopped laughing, he always says, Excuse me. Too much salt. Wilma Wallaby gets such big laughs with her too much salt routine that she doesn't mind spoiling her entire dinner to get them. 
Wilma's gag is good for dinner table be- for beginners because it requires no preparation and little intelligence. Here's how it works. Wilma waits until the food has been served. She tastes her meat, frowns, and then says, please pass the salt. She shakes some salt into her meat and returns the salt shaker to the head of the table. She immediately tastes her meat again, frowns, and says, please pass the salt. The salt is passed to her. She sprinkles a great deal more onto her meat and returns the salt shaker to the head of the table. Wilma repeats her request for more salt until her meat looks exactly like Mount McKinley, covered with snow. When there is so much salt on her plate that the meat cannot even be seen, she tastes it, smiles, and says, Great dinner, Mom, but I think the meat is a little too salty. According to Wilma, this gag never fails to crack her family up. And she says they laugh even harder as they forced her to finish every last bite of the meat she had ruined. Tabletop Terpsipicori Dexter Brewster's salt dance is not recommended even by Dexter himself. Dexter tried the gag only once. He poured about an inch of salt under the dinner table, jumped up onto the table, and began tap dancing on the salt. The salt gave a nice sandy brush sound to Dexter's dancing, and his family seemed to enjoy the routine for a moment or two until Dexter kicked the turkey off the table and fell headfirst into the mashed potatoes. Dexter says that when he can walk again, he plans to give up his dancing career. Dinner table gags to avoid if at all possible. 1. Sticking a celery stick out each side of your mouth and saying, look, ma, I'm a walrus. Two, buttering your napkin and complaining about how they don't make white bread like they used to. Three, saying to the person next to you, what's that slop you're eating? Four, holding a watermelon on your stomach and saying, do you think this can be surgically removed? Five, saying, let's not cry over spilt milk after you've spilt your milk. Six, Placing a fried egg over each eye and asking your parents if they think you need glasses. 7. When tomato soup is served, saying, drink your blood before it clots. 8. Placing a banana in your ear and saying, I can't hear you, I've got a banana in my ear. 9. Whinnying like a horse when hamburgers are served and saying, Ma, I think this one is still alive. 10. Holding a canary under your shirt and saying, Ma, I don't think I can finish my vegetables. Look, my stomach is all fluttery. 11. When your mother serves quiche Lorraine, lobster Newberg, and chocolate mousse, saying, Ah, Ma, we had this for lunch in the cafeteria today. Questions for review. 1. What are your three funniest things you can say with a mouthful of lima beans? 2. True or false? One handful of mashed potatoes can never be as funny as two handfuls of mashed potatoes. Three, what are the best vegetables for throwing? For sitting on? For swimming in? Four, where are the two funniest places to stick your fork when you are told not to play with your silverware? Important advice. We interrupt the funniness lessons to bring you the important advice from the National Institute of Advice about anything at all. What to do if a buffalo becomes sick on your carpet? 1. Don't panic. 2. Stay calm. 3. Don't get nervous. 4. Keep cool. 5. Try not to be alarmed. 6. Don't worry yourself excessively. 7. Don't get excited. 8. Try to relax. 9. Don't allow yourself to become agitated. 10. Move to a new town as quickly as possible. Chapter 4. How to be funny with soup. Ah, soup. Of course, soup must have its own chapter. Soup is funny as soon as you say it. Go on. Say the word. 
soup. It sounds like you're slurping it right off the big spoon. And of course, slurping is just one of hundreds of ways to be funny with soup. Rule number one. For getting big laughs with soup, keep it simple. Dexter Brewster recently learned the lesson the hard way. As part of his elaborate planning, he borrowed a pet rabbit from his friend. When his family was comfortably seated around the dinner table, Dexter carefully deposited the surprised rabbit into his soup. He waited until all eyes were on him and proclaimed, Look, Ma, there's a hair in my soup. Funny? Perhaps. But Dexter had no time to enjoy his laugh. The rabbit jumped out of the soup, which was a mock turtle, actually, scampered through the salad, tossed, raced over the roast beef, medium rare, and began to run in frantic circles about the living room, French provincial. The family finally caught the rabbit half an hour later. By that time, the dinner was ruined and the joke had been forgotten. Brewster spent the rest of the evening practicing a different comedy technique, how to be funny all by yourself in your room. The eyes have it. Harrison Babel voted funniest kid in the U.S. with soup until he gave it up to concentrate to being funny with watermelons. Has only believed that simple soup gags are the best. Babel used only a ping pong ball and a felt pen for one of his classic soup laugh getters. Babel took a felt pen and drew a large solid brown dot on the ping pong ball. He hid the ball in his shirt and sat down at the dinner table. He waited for the soup to be served. When no one was looking, he placed the ping-pong ball with a large brown dot into his soup. Then he stretched a wide smile across his usually serious face and loudly proclaimed, My favorite, cream of eyeball soup. Babel's family was sickened at first, but when they realized that it was not a real eyeball floating in the soup, they laughed for hours. Babel attempted to follow his triumph a few weeks later by placing two ping-pong balls in his soup, and by saying, please tell my soup not to stare at me. But this time, he was firmly told to shut up and eat. He thus learned rule number two when it comes to being funny with soup, don't press your luck. Two Hall of Famers. We must take time out to mention two girls who, surprisingly enough, both live on the very same block in Weehawken, New Jersey, and have the exact same name, but do not know each other. Both girls are named Jerry Jean Jerry Jean and both were recently inducted into the Funny with Soup Hall of Fame. Jerry Jean, the first one, not the other one, is 12 and has won worldwide recognition for ability to crumble up astounding quantities of crackers into her soup. During last spring's Cracker Crumbling Finals, you probably watched them on TV, Jerry Jean broke the world's record by crumbling 3,452.4 saltines into a bowl of cream of tomato. Unfortunately, she also broke the bowl and was disqualified. When she begins crumbling crackers at the dinner table, Jerry Jean uses both hands at once, sometimes crumbling so hard that she cracks a knuckle. This never fails to get big laughs from the rest of the family who are also terrific cracker crumblers in their own way. The other Jerry Jean, who will probably be more surprised than anyone to learn that she is not the only Jerry Jean, has been in the soup spotlight for years because of her ability to eat her soup using strange and totally improper utensils. Jerry Jean began what she calls her soup capades, and at the age of four months by eating her strained vegetable soup with a fork, this always created such hilarity in her house that she began experimenting. At the age of seven, she began getting big laughs by eating her soup with a sandbox shovel. 
By the time she was eight, she was skillfully using a dustpan to slurp her chicken noodle. At nine, she had her family in an uproar when she consumed a bowl of minestrone using a specially lined baseball cap. At present, she is practicing eating her soup with a pair of argyle socks using a soak and suck technique. We expect even greater things from Jerry Jean in the near future. Other rules for being funny with soup. Placing strange objects in your soup almost always gets a laugh. Attempting to wear your soup is usually less successful. Two, while some kids get big laughs by trying to eat their soup with a fork, other kids attempting this gag are asked to leave the table. Three, placing your feet in your soup is recommended only if your parents think that everything you do is adorable. Four, any gag that ends with the punchline, but ma, you told me to use my noodle, is probably not worth the effort. Questions for review. One, what were the four funniest words ever spelt with the alphabet soup? Two, list three best vampire jokes to tell while eating tomato soup. Three, true or false, it's funnier to spill a soup with noodles than a soup with rice. Four, how many possible ways are there to get a soup spoon caught in your mouth? Chapter 5. How to be funny at parties. At any party, there is always one person who has the most fun. That person is the one getting all the attention, making all the noise, being funny every second, and keeping everyone else from having a good time. With a little hard work and practice, that lucky person can be you. Of course, there are many ways to disrupt parties and keep everyone laughing until you are asked to leave. In this chapter, we are going to learn the techniques of two experts. Jeremy Jejun, 13, and Jean Willikers, 12, are so successful at being funny at parties, they haven't been invited to any in more than three years. As funny as Jeremy and Jean are, you can learn from their mistakes. We're going to follow each of them as they try to get big yucks at a party. Follow their moves carefully and keep a list of the mistakes each of them makes. After we watch them in action, We'll review each performance and take a look at the errors they made. The phony, sophisticate approach. Jeremy's biggest accomplishment is the ability to sound totally insincere while being as polite and well-mannered as one can possibly be. He affects a slight British accent when he talks, and he's always bowing and kissing hands and saying, thank you ever so much, and indubitably, and polite things like that and he gets big laughs by doing it so well. Jeremy's manners are so sophisticated and so suave and so unbelievably sickening that people start laughing the moment he tips his hat, bows from the waist, and says, "Begging your pardon, ma'am, whenever anyone, male or female, passes by. Follow carefully now as Jeremy tries out his phony sophisticate approach at a party. He is coming up the walk now, ringing the bell at the front door to Alice Begonia's house. Alice opens the door. She seems a bit surprised to see him there, his hands behind his back. Why, hello, Jeremy, she says. Jeremy bows from the waist and says, Thank you ever so much for the invitation, my dear young woman. It was so good of you to have me. Alice looks puzzled. Jeremy steps into her living room, his hands still behind his back. Oh, what a delightful room, Jeremy explains. The atmosphere you've created is so celebrational. Allow me to present you with this small token of my esteem, and please accept my heartfelt and fondest regards on this, the anniversary of your birth. Jeremy reveals that he is carrying a pecan pie in his hands. 
He presses the pie into Alice's face and looks about the room, eager to accept his laughs. Do you spot the mistakes Jeremy made? Keep thinking about his performance as you read about Gene. The anything-for-a-laugh approach. As much as they try, people just can't hide from Gene at parties. Gene is one of those rare individuals who is willing to do anything he can think of to get laughs at parties. Here he comes now. See if you can spot the mistakes he makes. Gene walks up to a front door wearing a stuffed parrot on his head. Alice greets him and opens the door. Gene has wax fangs in his mouth. Fangs a lot for inviting me, he says, spitting the fangs onto the floor. Hi, everyone. Gene walks into the room on his hands so that everyone will notice that he has arrived. What did you get when you cross a penguin with an elephant, he shouts. You get an animal in a very tight-fitting tuxedo. Ha 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 ha. Oh, well. Things are tough all over. Don't applaud. Just throw money. Ha 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 ha. Gene turns to Alice. Thanks for inviting me. It's nice to have such a close friend. What did you say your name was? Gene pretends to trip on the carpet and flings himself headfirst into the punch bowl. Delicious, he says, wiping his face off the tablecloth. He puts the lampshade on his head and walks around the room telling everyone, I feel a little bit lightheaded today. When he knows everyone is watching him, Gene walks up to the big chocolate birthday cake and puts his fist through it. Hey, it's real, he yells, acting surprised. Ha 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 ha. How about that? At this point, Alice's parents ask him to leave. What mistakes did Gene make? Let's go back and review the performances. Rating the performances. Jeremy made several rather serious blunders. Did you catch all these? He was dressed as a turkey. But the party was not a costume party. The hideous green feathers he had pasted all over his body totally ruined the sophisticated effect he was trying to create. 2. It was not a birthday party. It was a Groundhog Day celebration. His birthday gift for Alice was not at all appropriate. 3. It was not Alice's party. Susan, who lived three blocks down the street, was giving the party. In fact, Alice wasn't even invited to the party. Therefore, she had no idea what Jeremy was doing bursting into the house dressed like a turkey. 4. Jeremy was a week early. The party was scheduled for next Saturday. 5. The pecan pie was stale. Gene, on the other hand, made no mistakes. Giving your own funny party. Harrison Babel, who has received 17 awards for just staying away from parties, prefers to give his own parties, at least 7 or 8 a week. Babel plans his parties so that he is the only one to enjoy them. Recently, he gave one of the funniest parties ever. And Babel himself was the only one laughing. Here's how he did it. Babel invited 30 kids to his party. He told 10 of them that it was a costume party, and he insisted that they come in the wildest costumes they could imagine. He told 10 others that it was a dress-up party, and they were to come in their best clothes. The remaining 10 were told that it was a come-as-you-are party, to wear jeans and t-shirts and the like. Of course... When everyone arrived, there was a great confusion. The kids in jeans and t-shirts felt underdressed. The kids in the best clothes felt overdressed. And the ten who had spent days putting together their costumes felt ridiculous. When we saw them all together, Babel knew his party was going to be a big success. While they were all busy puzzling over each other's attire and arguing over who was dressed correctly, Babel passed out party hats and noisemakers. Before the party, he had carefully cut all the rubber bands on the hats so that no one could keep his or her hat on for more than a second or two. And Babel had fixed the noisemakers so that they wouldn't make any sound at all, no matter how hard anyone blew into them. 
Babel's guests were so busy trying to keep their party hats on and trying to get their noisemakers to work, they didn't notice that Babel had turned the room temperature up to 95 degrees. The phonograph had been carefully stacked with stereo records of wild ostrich cries and train wrecks so no one was dancing and the record player was turned up so loud that no one could talk. Let's play charades, Babel suggested. Everyone was eager to play, just to be doing something. They quickly divided into two teams. Imagine everyone surprised when Babel's team drew very easy phrases to perform, such as bird dog and catfish, while the other team found themselves having to pantomime lengthy philosophical tracks and all in Latin. Since the kids grew tired of charades very quickly, Babel suggested another game, one to be played outdoors. The game involved raking all the leaves in Babel's front yard. Babel had promised his father that this task would be performed. The game took several hours, and everyone was greatly relieved when Babel finally announced, Refreshments are served. The party moved to the dining room. Babel brought out three cupcakes and two small bottles of grape juice. Hope there's enough for everybody, he said, unable to hide his amusement. None of his guests would agree with Babel that this was the most successful party he'd ever given. But Babel admitted it weeks later. He was still laughing about it. Perhaps there's a lesson here for us all. Perhaps not. Three funny party games. Recommended by Harrison Babel. Pin the tail on the mommy. Two, spin the birthday cake. Three, veterinary surgeon, if you have pets. Questions for review. One, true or false? A party needn't end in bloodshed to be truly funny. Two, list the five funniest items that should be accidentally spilled on the carpet to liven up a party. Three, Which is funnier, wearing a lampshade around your waist or stuffing an ice cream cube down somebody's back? 4. Describe the three most popular ways of wearing a birthday cake. Chapter 6. How to Tell a Joke This joke is never going to end. When already? When already? I hope I never hear another joke as long as I live. Do people say these things when you're telling a joke? If not, you need more practice at your joke telling. A truly unforgettable joke should be so long and confusing and so unbearably tiresome that the listener can't wait to start laughing at the punchline. Wilma Wallaby is known as the best joke teller in her school and is widely avoided for that reason. Wilma has been known to stretch a two-line grape joke into a three-day activity leaving her audiences so desperate to get away that they'll laugh at every word she says. Here is Wilma now telling one of her shorter jokes. Follow her technique, then practice it yourself to anyone you can force to listen. Stop me if you've heard this one before. A bear goes into a restaurant. No, it was two bears. That's right. Two bears go into a restaurant and... Wait a minute. No, I got it wrong. Uh, I got it wrong. Uh, It was a giraffe. That's right. A giraffe goes into a restaurant. Only it wasn't really a restaurant. It was a shoe store. The giraffe asked the clerk for a hot fudge sundae. Oh, I guess it was a restaurant after all. Well, it was more of a diner. There was a counter and a few seats in the back and it was called Joe's Diner. Or was it Jim's Diner? Nope, I think Jim owned the shoe store. Well, (laughs) this is the wrong joke anyway. A bear goes into a diner and orders a hot fudge sundae. He wants to play the jukebox, but there isn't one. How come you don't have a jukebox? The The bear asks the waiter. I don't know, the waiter tells him. You're the first one to ask me that question. Well, that's okay, the bear says. This isn't part of the joke anyway. Well, the waiter brings the bear a banana split. Oh, wait. No, sorry. The bear ordered a hot fudge sundae. I guess it was the giraffe that ordered the banana split. <laughs> and that's another joke. Um, 
Do you know the joke about the giraffe and the banana split? I'll tell you that one when I'm finished this one. Okay, so the waiter says to the... Oh, no. It was a waitress. That's right. It was a waitress. Uh, she says to the giraffe, uh, the uh, bear, to the bear, she says to the bear, are you the one who ordered the snoo? And the bear says, snoo? What's snoo? And the waitress... Oh, that's another joke. That Completely. Okay, so listen, I'll get it right. The waitress brings the bear his hot fudge sundae, or was it a banana split? Uh, no, it was the chocolate sundae with the banana. You haven't heard this joke before, have you? Okay, good. Well, the waitress goes back to see the boss, Joe, or Jim, no, jo- Joe, and says, what shall I charge him for the pair of knee boots? And Joe says, this is a restaurant, not a shoe store. And so the waitress says, what shall I charge him for the Sunday?" And the owner says, well, he's only a bear. He probably doesn't even know how much things cost, so charge him $5 for it. The bear eats the Sunday. Well, almost all of it. I think he left the banana, of course. <laughs> I, know, I know a great joke about a bear and a banana peel. Remind me to tell you that one when I'm finished. Okay, so the waitress tells the bear that'll be $5. The bear pays $5. I believe he had five $1 bills, or was it $4 bills and four quarters? Three quarters, two dimes, and a nickel? No, no, I I remember. That's right. He had traveler's checks. Anyway, so he pays the $5, and as he's walking out, the waitress asks him, Oh, wait, I think it it was a giraffe after all. No, no, it was the bear. It was the bear. And the waitress asks him, Why did you choose this restaurant? We don't get many bears in here. And the bear says, Nothing. What's new with you? No, that's not right. Uh, okay, the waitress says, Why, why did you come here? Uh, we don't get many bears in here. And the bear says, Well, at these prices, I can see why. <laughs> Funny, right? <laughs> Joke telling rules. How can you tell a joke as well as Wilma Wallaby? By following these simple rules of joke-telling, Wilma was kind enough to write down for you. 1. Always begin by saying, Stop me if you've heard this one before. If someone says they've heard it, go right on telling it anyway. 2. Gesture a lot with your hands. Stand real close to the person you've been telling the joke to and poke them in the ribs to emphasize every third word of your joke. 3. Never tell a joke that takes less than 20 minutes. 4. Never tell a joke that involves a gorilla and a wise old farmer. 5. If you must tell elephant or grape jokes, never tell less than 30 at a time. 5. Always be the first to laugh at your joke. Laugh as hard as you can so that the others will know just how funny it is. Questions for review. 1. Was it a bear or a giraffe? Chapter 7. How to be funny while you're in big trouble. Now you've done it. You know you're not supposed to chase the dog through the living room, but you did. And now you've tipped and cracked a mirror, ripped the new upholstery off the couch, pulled down the drapes, knocked the top off the piano, and tipped over the goldfish bowl. You're standing ankle-deep in water, clinging to the wet drapes to stay afloat, when you hear your mother approaching, calling, What's going on in there? Now, what do you do? Forget how to speak English? Try to blame the dog for turning the room into a national disaster? Beg for mercy? Plead insanity? Pretend nothing has happened? No. Forget that. You are in big trouble. And the only way out is to be funny. Get the injured party laughing, and your troubles are over. At least until they stop laughing. 
Dexter Brewster has been in big trouble more often than any other kid in North America, counting Canada and Mexico. During one 24-hour period a few weeks ago, Brewster managed to find himself in these rather unpleasant situations. Caught writing his name in ink on his younger brother. Caught trying to hide his peas in his pants cuffs. Caught signing his parents' name to a petition to ban all homework in school. Caught playing catch with his sister's birthday cake just minutes before her birthday party began. Caught trying to glue the television set back together after having dropped it out the window. Needless to say, Brewster was punished severely for every one of these crimes. This was before he developed the Brewster Big Trouble Funniness Kit. Now when Brewster is in big trouble, which is nearly always, he pulls out his kit, and before long his parents, his teacher, his principal, or neighbors, or even perfect strangers, are holding their sides with laughter and forgetting just how eager they were to see Brewster thrashed within an inch of his life. You will probably want to put together a kit like this. Here is what it contains. The Brewster Big Trouble Funniness Kit. Three oranges, one very realistic squirrel mask, two 8-ounce water glasses attached to a long string, one list of double-talk phrases, one tube of flexible day-glow plastic, one pair of track shoes. How does Brewster use the items in his kit? Well, we don't have to search very hard to find an example. Just last week, Brewster was chasing his dog through the living room. He tripped and cracked a mirror, ripped the new upholstery off the couch, pulled down the drapes, knocked the top off the piano, and tipped over the goldfish bowl. Standing ankle-deep in water, he heard his mother approaching. Luckily, Brewster had his Big Brewster Trouble Funniness kit with him. What's going on in here? His mother cried, bursting angrily into the room. Brewster pulled out three oranges and began juggling them high over his head. His juggling caught his mother by surprise and he kept her from noticing the water that was rapidly soaking into the carpet. When she began to realize something was amiss in the room, Brewster slipped on the squirrel mask and pretended to rummage for nuts. This usually got a huge laugh from his mother, who especially liked the way Brewster scratched his little squirrel whiskers, bunching up his fingers into little paws while continuing to keep the three oranges rotating in the air. This time, however, the squirrel mask did not amuse her. So Brewster dropped the mask and the oranges and reached for the two 8-ounce water glasses. He tied them to his head with the string he had attached and said to his mother, You wouldn't hit somebody who wears glasses, would you? In the past, this had been the biggest laugh-getter. It had even gotten him off the hook the time he'd been caught dribbling his baby sister. But this time, his mother just stood there, staring angrily at the soaked living room drapes that Brewster was still standing on. Brewster quickly pulled out his list of double-talk phrases and began making funny excuses. You see, Mom, I can explain everything. I was drailing the gream when the crail ronked my squeam. <laughs> A big laugh? No, nothing. Brewster was rapidly reaching the bottom of the kit. He dropped the double-talk phrase list and quickly pulled out the tube of soft day-glow plastic. He molded the plastic into the shape of a halo, which he placed on top of his head. The glowing halo always got a laugh and always helped remind her that he was still Mommy's little angel. But to Brewster's dismay, the halo was not working its heavenly magic. He watched his mother's face grow red with anger. Quickly, Brewster pulled out the final item from his kit, the item that never failed him, his track shoes. 
he slipped them on and ran out of the house as fast as he could. Which brings us to the most important lesson of this chapter. A moving target is hardest to hit. When you're in big trouble, excuses to avoid, if at all possible. 1. I really don't know how the water got into the balloon. 2. I know I'm late. I took a shortcut. 3. It wasn't my fault that I failed the test. I copied off the wrong person. 4. I only wanted to scare him. 5. He ran into the snowball. I didn't throw it at him. 6. How was I supposed to know that five candy bars don't make a well-balanced lunch? They were all different kinds. 7. I only wanted to scare her. 8. I was just trying to show Billy what not to do so he'll know in the future that it was wrong. 9. I can't be held responsible. All my actions are controlled by my brainwave machine on a distant planet. 10. I only wanted to scare it. 11. I didn't mean to take her doll, tear its head off, and paint its skin blue. It was an accident. 12. You should have told me not to accept dares. Questions for review. What are the three funniest replies for when your mother says, what do you think your punishment should be? 2. When you're caught cheating on a test, is it funnier to fall off your chair and crawl out of the room or to bounce up onto your desk and leap out the window? 3. List the six funniest items to pad your jeans with just before getting spanked. 4. True or false, you should always carry a big red hand with you to pull out when people say they've caught you red-handed. Chapter 8. What isn't funny? Well, here we are, almost at the very end of the book. What a good place to put the final chapter. So far, we have talked about what is funny. Now we're going to take a look at what isn't funny. So no laughing at this chapter. Let's begin with the results of a recent survey. In this survey, more than 20,000 kids, most of them either your age or older or younger, were asked the question, what isn't funny? Nearly 15 of the kids came up with answers. On the following page are the results. And 12 least funny things in the world. Here's a list of the 12 most unfunny things. 1. Cold chicken soup. 2. Everyone stomping on your new shoes. 3. Getting punished for something you didn't do. 4. Getting punished for something you did do. 5. Getting more cold chicken noodle soup. 6. Playing a game with someone who cheats. 7. Playing a game with someone who won't cheat. 8. Having to pose for family photographs. 9. Having to kiss an aunt you don't like. 10. Being the new kid in school. 11. Being the new kid in school and getting cold chicken noodle soup. 12. Being forced to answer questions in a very silly survey. The survey offered a good start at finding out just what isn't funny, but the researchers weren't satisfied. They decided to interview several kids and get longer answers from them. Again, the question was, what isn't funny? Here are some things kids had to say. Brian Quibble, Fork in the Bend, Ohio. A few days ago, I dropped my hat on the playground. Some kids picked it up and started throwing it around. I asked them to give it back, but they wouldn't. I tried to grab it, but they kept throwing it back and forth out of my reach and yelling, Keep away! Keep away! They wouldn't give it back, even when I started to cry. I think that playing keep away is not funny, especially when it's your hat. I don't mind it so much if I'm throwing someone else's hat around. Dora Bull, nearby Nevada. Sometimes I go to big parties where a lot of kids are invited. You know, birthday parties, surprise parties. A lot of us girls like to dance at these parties, but the boys won't dance. 
They spend all their time throwing the dinner rolls at each other. Last week, I was at a party and a boy came up to me. I thought he wanted to dance, but he just wanted to put an ice cube down my back. Now what's so funny about that? When I came home from my party, my back is now frozen and my party dress is soaking wet. It's not funny. Stop laughing. Brian Quibble, Fork in the Bend, Ohio. I'd just like to add that I never did get my hat back. They kept it, and I had to walk all the way home without a hat. I hope my mother doesn't notice. Foster Bad Habits, Bright Idea, Florida. Kids who laugh at other kids in math class are not funny. Let's face it, some kids just have a hard time with arithmetic. It's nothing to laugh at. If I can't work a problem on the chalkboard, it's because I just don't understand what I'm doing. You don't have to laugh at me, do you? And my dog really did chew up my math homework. Everyone thought it was funny, too. Well, it wasn't. Math class is not funny, and I don't think kids should be allowed to laugh in it. Nick Picker, Long Island, Iowa. I'll tell you what isn't funny. When some aunt or uncle comes to visit, or maybe your grandparents, and you haven't seen them in a long time, and right away they start in with, Oh, look how you've grown. Oh, you're so big. Oh, you're getting to be a big man. And then you blush and everyone laughs at you. That isn't funny. Why do they always have to talk about how big you've grown? All kids grow. It's no big deal. I don't talk about how fat they are, or how they look, or how bald they're getting. That would be funny, but I don't. I'm trying to stay as short as I can. Then they'll have to say, Oh, look how short he's getting. That'll confuse them. Yeah, that'll confuse them good. And then I won't be embarrassed. Brian Quibble, Fork in the Bend, Ohio. My mother found out about the hat. She just called the other boys' mothers and told them about it. I'll tell you what isn't funny. When your mother has to call somebody else's mother and ask for your hat back, that isn't funny at all. Martha Washington, no relation. Silver Bullet, Maryland. If you tell someone a secret and she tells it to somebody else and then she tells it to someone else and 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 she tells it back to you, that isn't funny. It sounds funny, but it isn't. Benji Ben, Benjamin, Arkansas. Pushing in the halls is not funny. A person can get hurt that way. Please don't use my name. Hector Whipple. Zigzag, North Dakota. People call me Four Eyes, and I don't even wear glasses. I don't think that's funny. Do you? Benji Ben, Benjamin, Arkansas. Using my name when I ask you not to isn't funny. Please don't do it a second time. Most of the other answers were so unfunny they had us in tears. Does anyone have a clean handkerchief? Jokes to avoid at any cost. Any joke that results in more than $20,000 in property damage. Two. Any joke that makes three or more people cry hysterically for hours afterwards. Three, any joke that spoils someone's birthday. Four, any joke that causes 4,000 people to run out of a crowded auditorium in terror. Five, any joke that makes any member in your family wish that they were a member of any other family. Six, any joke that hurts people's feelings so much that they don't talk to you for the next 20 years. Seven, any joke that causes someone to blush in front of five or more people. 8. Any joke that ends in a world war. 9. Any joke that makes a sick person lose the desire to recover. 10. Any joke that involves tying an object that weighs more than 200 pounds to a dog's tail. 11. Any joke that makes a person feel no more than four and no less than two inches tall. 12. 
any joke that brings down a plague of pestilence and boils an entire city. So there you have it, folks. That's a little bit about the author, I guess. Uh, About the author. Jovial Bob Stein says he wrote this book, and we believe him. When he is not writing books, he is the editor of Bananas Magazine, and when he is not being jovial, he is all right, too. He was born in Columbus, Ohio, and grew up there. He now lives in New York City with his wife, Jane, also a writer and editor.